The plant balancing and distributed access architecture, DAA, much easier to say. I'm Brady Volt, take two, founder of the Volt Firm, and then will this with us today is John Downey again. John, welcome. Good to see you again. Thank you. Uh, you know what's going to happen is those uh, NFL things where they do the bad lip reading. That's what we're going to add to the beginning of this presentation. <laughs> Who knows what they say? But I do want to thank Tech Danny, Roman R, uh, Jepsy, everyone else on the chat room, uh, also Brian Wilson for and Rick for uh, saying we had no audio coming out of our stream. These things happen. And uh, we're back on track now. So today we're going to be start talking about uh, plant balancing in DAA. And, and John... You were saying uh, some things that it's not the not the same. Some things change. Some things are different. And I think that's where we left off. Yeah, yeah. We were mentioning how it's kind of you know ironic. We mentioned this is a balancing and alignment of the cable plant, but we've been doing that for fifty years. So what can really be new? <laughs> but when we go to digital fiber from an analog fiber, all your RF signals are gone. You know, all the RF that you're used to analog signal in the head end, where you have test signals. You have uh, out-of-band set-top box signals. You have CLI, you know, leakage in, in, testing uh, signals. You have AGC, amplifier AGC uh, pilot and tones. And, and I didn't even talk about, you know, the DOCSIS signals and the analog video channels and you name it. There's a lot of stuff that we pull together in the head end and send, broadcast it down to our lasers. Well, now the digital fiber, the RPD, uh, it has to generate all that RF. So, you know, luckily it does, and it will. Uh, you have to get rid of all your analog video channels, but the RF can be created in the field now at the node. So it's almost like you have a mini head end out there. But what about all your test equipment? You know, how does path track work? How do you send reverse upstream spectrum all the way back to your path track system? You know, can, can it work in this environment? Uh, how do you do balancing and sweeping? If I do upstream sweeping and my legacy equipment sends sweep pulses in the upstream, how, that's an analog RF signal. How does it get back to the head end where my sweep receiver is? Well, guess what? How am I, I can't do that. I have to do it a different way. So, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, not concerns, but things you have to think about um, before you just jump into it. And luckily, the, the test vendors have figured that out. You know, we're not new to this now. We're a year, two years into it. So we've handled some of this stuff. And you've talked about it too. And, and Brady, you're like in the PNM and stuff like that. And so that helps us with troubleshooting. That's just, you know, pulling the cable modems and getting information from the CMTS. So, yeah, we can uh, talk about all this. And, and before we figured out audio wasn't working, I was mentioning <laughs> <laughs> some things we've learned since our last podcast was this capacity and congestion issue. What I'm finding is... Because of the upstream capacity, everyone's working from home, everybody's schooling from home, uh, just a lot more traffic on the upstream, ring doorbells, gaming, people video, video, videotaping or video themselves gaming. Um, that extra utilization along with people working from home doing Zoom, um, Vonage, Skype, WebEx, GoToMeeting, the stuff we're doing right now. There's a lot of how DOCSIS works, request, grant, request, grant. If the upstream stream is fast enough, there's enough buffering in your cable modem to piggyback subsequent requests. 
So cable modem makes a request to the CMTS. CMTS on downstream map says, here's your time to send. Hopefully, when that packet sends, inside is another piggyback request inside. Well, if it's not inside, meaning the, fl the upstream flow is kind of slow, uh, you're just doing audio only, and you're not doing video upstream, because it's only maybe 20 millisecond packetization, it could be request, grant, request, grant. All these requests, in essence, could be 50 per second, because every 20 milliseconds would be 50 packets per second. So every one of them is getting a contention request. So put one and one together here. Think about the applications, the utilization, and all these contention requests colliding back and off, secondary collisions, adding in power, causing laser clipping. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing right now is potentially upstream laser clipping because of these applications and because utilization is so high. So it's interesting uh, what we're trying to, we're theorizing, we're looking at the results, we're trying to replicate and see which applications would create more contention requests versus piggyback requests. Because um, I even wonder about over-the-top video. Over-the-top video is TCP-based. It creates more acknowledgments on the upstream. Well, the acknowledgments will probably concatenate to a bigger frame, but is it efficient at piggybacking? I, and I don't know. It depends, I suppose, on the downstream rate of that uh, over-the-top video. And as I said, let's take it a step further because I will do a lot of XM radio. XM radio is satellite, so it's UDP. It's just broadcast. But I do XM serious XM radio over my phone app, over my Wi-Fi, and I'm like, is that TCP or UDP? I looked it up. It looks like it might be UDP. But any internet radio stuff is not a type of broadcast. It's internet. Like Spotify and Pandora, I believe it's TCP-based. So who's to say those apps don't create more acknowledgments on the upstream? So yeah, it's, it's interesting. You're putting these things together and, and trying to figure out, all right, it is what it is. How do I live with it? One, add more capacity. Two, how do I get rid of these contention requests or alleviate them? So the good news, I have two things, I think, in my back pocket. Uh, and it sounds like I'm evangelizing, but one, if you do a digital fiber, there's no laser clipping. So that satisfies that. <laughs> but you can't just go out there and change all your nodes to you know, RPDs and stuff like that right away. I want you to go that direction. But I'm also looking at DOCSIS 3.1 upstream for two reasons. One, more capacity. But two, it's a bigger channel than a single carrier qualm. So it's even when it gets fully congested, it may have more contention time or opportunities than a single carrier qualm would. So it, it's these these are the things we're experimenting and and trying to theorize and and actually figure out like how do we deal with this and what's I, I do I live in the real world and I look for solutions for what's out there today and what can I do today. You know, ironically, I live in a real world too. <laughs> Why is it that you think, or that you know, we're starting to see more of that in this kind of you know COVID nineteen world that we have right now? So let's say here's your time on the wire, one second, and there's not much traffic on there right now. There's a lot of that time can be used for contention requests. There's a lot more opportunities. Let's say out of that time, this much is utilization. You just shrunk the amount of contention time. You also increase the amount of contention requests because of the applications running. So it's twofold, right? 
We're shrinking the amount of contention opportunities because there's more traffic. And we're increasing the contention requests because of the type of traffic. And, and in, on your point of two requests colliding, you know, I'm an RF guy, so I ran this by Ron Rannick as well. And I said, you know, to add power perfectly, it has to be the same level, the same frequency, and the same phase. And I'm like, well, at the RPD or at the node, it is the same level. It has to be. The modems transmit whatever they need to to hit the CMTS at zero, the same level. So at the node, it'll be the same level. It's got to be the same frequency because that's what we're talking about. It's on the same upstream frequency. The question will be phase. Now, because the cable modem CMTS have a time offset, I suspect every, all the timing is, that's what we're talking about, a collision in time. So I don't know for sure if the actual phase of the symbol and everything like that would add up. But running some numbers of 500 homes a node, a percentage are doing these applications, a percentage are uh, uh, colliding at the same time, a percentage of that, whatever. Um, out of 500 homes, if you just have 10 colliding at the same time, 10 times the log of 10 is 10 dB. So you could have a 10 dB increase in your laser input. And that's enough to cause upstream laser clipping, which basically means you're overdriving the laser, going nonlinear, the laser shutting on and off sometimes because you're getting lower than what it can handle, the bias current. Yeah, there's a lot into laser clipping as well, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the opportunity then for operators, they, they have a couple of choices. They can rebalance returns, lower the, lower the signal going into the laser, which is going to bring its own problems. Now you're going to have worse SNR, but you're not going to have laser clipping. Or... Basically, you start dividing nodes, splitting nodes, and reduce the amount of traffic. Those, those are really the only two solutions that they would have. And for well, I mean, you don't have to divide or split the node. You could just add more upstream capacity. Yeah. Right? You could try to do Doxus 3.1. I would even argue well, that's, that. that's what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah exactly. really get rid of that digital laser <laughs> or that analog uh, or, laser. Yeah, yeah. Get rid of the analog laser. But, I mean, if you're stuck with the analog laser and you have 4 ATDMA, can you go to 5 ATDMA? I would argue that you should drop the 4 ATDMA to 2 ATDMA and then do the rest of the spectrum with OFDMA. Right. And then move the high-end users or the, the heavy hitters up to a 3.1 modem and push them on the 3.1 upstream. So your comment on going to more upstream ATDMA con uh, upstreams is actually um, uh, a thought I had not put together <laughs> recently because I did have someone ask me not too long ago, mm -hmm. how many upstream channels should they have? And uh, I think, would you recommend going to more smaller width ATDMAs rather than, uh, you know, say go Heck two no. 3.2 megahertz ATDMAs and one 6.4 no. megahertz ATMAs? No, 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 no. Always use the biggest you can get. Okay. The bigger the channel, the better stat, stat muxing, probability collision. It's more efficient. You're paying, you're paying us, <laughs> the CMTS vendors, for a license for an upstream channel regardless of modulation channel width. So you're better off using it at its biggest and most efficient uh, channel width and modulation. So 64 qualm, 6.4 megahertz. Plus the more upstream channels you have in a MAC domain, the more downstream map overhead you have in all your primary downstreams. So now you're creating more downstream overhead because you have more upstreams and they're smaller. Like, nah, don't ever do that. Uh, always go to the biggest you can get. But I mean, with that said, if someone says I have four ATDMA, I want to go to five, Doing a five-channel upstream bonding group versus four, you drop 3 dB in your max transmit power. Yep. Because it's assuming you're doubling four to eight. There is no four to five. It's actually one to two, two to four, 
and four to eight in regards to max transmit power from the modem. So now all of a sudden it's it's more problems with power level on the upstream. Got so it. I would say stick with four bonding and less, unless you're going to do, you know, an, an 85 megahertz eight channel upstream. If that's the case, uh, that's so that's a different story. So if you can't do that, the next best thing, or ideally the best thing you can do is get rid of the analog channel altogether and drop in an RPD. And with that being said, ready to start on your slides. Yeah, yeah, you said uh, it'll take us 20 minutes for the opening, and here we are. Here we are. <laughs> I, did no, I do not disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> Consistency is what you work on, John. Exactly, exactly. So, all uh, right, so um, you know, for those of you who are going to be listening to this on, on audio only, we'll do our best to uh, basically articulate what's in every single slide. So we're going to throw up, um, John, your first slide here, and we'll start discussing that. So uh, let's not spend any time on the, on the highlight here. It's alignment and distributed access architecture, DAA networks. Um, so uh, let's get into the next slide, and we can just get down to the nitty-gritty, John. All right. So the, you know, we talked about uh, on the last podcast, uh, the next podcast will be upstream balancing, scheduling, we said, or, or alignment. We said, well, all right, let's look at upstream and downstream. But let's focus on what happens in a DAA environment. Because really, there's nothing new for analog, right? Everyone's been sweeping, balancing, aligning uh, forever. And, and I, you and I, uh, you know, both were in this, this business of sweep, balance, test equipment. You know, I was at WaveTech for a while, and you were at uh, uh, SigTech, right, Photronics with a protocol analyzer. And then you were at uh, Sunrise. Is that correct? That's right. Right? So, I mean, we both uh, <laughs> have been around this industry for a while in different realms and capacities of this uh, of this technology, right? Uh, secret electronics, uh, test equipment, and now like monitoring and troubleshooting that information that's running on these plants. Uh, if we do look at replacing analog laser, digital laser, and I'm not talking about uh, changing the location, and I'm saying you're just going to swap it with the location it's at. No distance di differences, nothing like that. But you're going to get much better MER because it's like putting the upstream downstream chipset from the CMTS right there closer to your customer in the node. So you get rid of that analog link. The analog link, I always used to say, is my Achilles heel as far as performance goes. And the link loss will dictate that MER. Well, it's a digital link. Link loss doesn't dictate your MER. It's a digital on, off, on, off, one, zero, one, zero. So I can go a lot further distance and still have the same performance. So DAA also, if I go to do a 204 megahertz upstream sooner or later, you know, it does eat into my downstream spectrum, but that is where the industry seems to be leaning instead of FDX, maybe go into a 204. Big reason, there's CPE that's supported today. Doxus 3.1 modems support 204. You might have to buy it with the actual Diplex filter with it, but the chipset supports 204. The CMTS supports, will support 204. RPDs will support 204. I mean, you might have to buy the diplex filters with the correct diplex filter split, but it works. And if you're going to do 204, good luck doing that with an analog laser. I'm, I'm talking about laser. I just talked five minutes ago about laser clipping with a 42 megahertz upstream. Yeah, it's you not going to happen at high frequencies. I I mean, and I and, and so, and yeah. to understand that, I mean, you're saying when we go from 42 megahertz to 88 or to uh, 85, 85 megahertz, you're doubling your RF spectrum. So that's basically why you're saying it's going to be challenging at 85 megahertz with analog layers. When we go to 42 megahertz to 204 megahertz, we're what, quadru quadrupling our right. spectrum. 
Well, yeah, for, yeah, quadrupling, which is, would be 6dB. So in best case scenario, high utilization, you're 6dB more total power. Right. In worst case scenario, it just takes one ingress throughout that spectrum to really throw everything off. And, and, and for most people, they see laser clipping with just a 42 megahertz return now. Exactly. And, and exactly. the additional heavy loading, going back to the uh, piggybacking issues that we're having in the contention windows, you know, anyone, and, and so we've talked about this in the past, that going to DOCSIS 3.1 with a, a digital return laser, an RPD, this is it, investing in your future whether that's for the traffic that we're seeing today with everyone working from home, or that's going to just make sure that you have the ability to go from 42 megahertz to 85 megahertz return or 204 megahertz return. Um, so it's, it's really future-proofing your plant. Of course. That's why I'm, I'm a firm believer and I evangelize about TAA. I think that's uh, the best bang for the buck. I mean, I... I you know, and it might be a case where you just change the lid of the node to RPD. You don't even change the housing. Yep. You understand what I'm saying? Like the housing just stays there. You don't have to worry about the connectors. You rip off the lid. You put a new lid on with an RPD and you're good to go. Fiber is still the same fiber. You know? and, and ideally, the rest of the plant should also be able to, to be the same after, right? Of course. We're not talking about FDX yet. This is no, not an no. FDX scenario where you have to go node plus zero. You're just replacing that node. Agreed. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a way to go, but there's still analysis paralysis on, well, do I invest RPD or remote MacFi? Um, you know, there's different solutions, flexible Mac architecture. Uh, RPD, remote Fi is the simplest, I guess you could say, less complex. And I think that's why we went down that route. And that's why it's, it's, it gained a lot more traffic traction for interoperability up front. Um, but there definitely is a case for flexible Mac architecture, remote Mac Fi. So I, I definitely see a case for uh, a mix of all these solutions. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, better modulation because you have better MER. So you have better, higher modulation DOCSIS 3.1. So RPD, DAA, distributed access architectures, are not a, a prerequisite for 3.1, but they are complementary to 3.1, right? So 3.1, I go much higher modulation schemes. I, I, I have no doubt I can run 4K qualm in a lot of cable plants if they had DAA, you know, digital fiber. Right. Just the MERs are so much better. Hey, and I want to throw oh, back to the, uh, the chat room. Thanks, everyone, for helping us get our audio ironed out here. It looks like uh, we got a perfect score now on audio. So, And John, they even said your audio is perfect. <laughs> you know, they, your, your, your voice is like nails on a chalkboard, but your audio sounds okay. Exactly. And it's, it's only taken us 58 episodes to get good audio. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, so, so if I do go DAA, here's the problem, I guess. You, all your analog signals go away. Your test signals, your telemetry for your tests, your sweep equipment, your leakage tones, your amplifier AGC, set-top box, out-of-band signals, analog video, that all goes away. So the RPD has to generate it. Which here, herein lies the problem, right? This, this is what makes it difficult for people to balance a return. Correct. Yeah, I mean, how are you going to have reverse sweep signals going back to your path track system in the head end? Right. You know, or your reverse they, sweep Well, equipment. they don't. They can go all the yeah. way back to the RPD, but because they're analog, at the RPD, they get cut off. Exactly. So we obviously 
tackled that solution, took it head on and tackled it and worked together with test equipment vendors, cable labs, SET, all that. And we have solutions for that. Uh, test vendors also added solutions to existing equipment and updated their stuff. So Ron will, t and I, I told Ron, he looked over these slides before I, I sent them to you. Uh, he said, I, and I told him, I said, maybe we'll have a future uh, hangout or a meeting a podcast with him to talk about where we are specifically with test equipment. So that might be another a good one that we can have later on in the future is where are we with leakage test equipment? Where are we with sweep NDF NDR? Yep. All right. Yeah. So, it's funny. You met, you just mentioned NDF NDR cause to do's, uh, just mentioned NDF NDR in our chat ch chat channel, mm -hmm. which is the way that, um, in, we can get those return sweep, those return spectrum analyzers, all that, all those analog signals back to the head end or, or out to the, to the sweep, which you'll probably mention, I think later on. Yeah. I think you're, uh, yeah. you're going to mention next in your, in your bullets. Yep. So you know, it's funny. It's like NDF narrowband digital forward NDR narrowband digital reverse. I'm like, wait a minute. We haven't used forward and reverse in our terminology in years. <laughs> it should be NDD and NDU. Yes. Narrowband digital downstream and narrowband digital upstream. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, but, so maybe someone didn't want to do that. You know, an RF guy came up with it and still stuck on the forward and reverse or, you know, the, the what was the other term forward and instead of reverse return. Return. Other term. Yeah. Return. But we've been using downstream upstream for that terminology for years now, as, at least from Docs' standpoint, right? Yep. Um, you know, the funny thing I wrote down here is if I do have to do an analog video overlay, by taking analog on one wavelength and, and then taking it down to RF at the node and combining it with the RF that you got on your digital fiber, you just took the noise from analog and added it into the nice, clean digital noise floor. Mm -hmm. unless you can filter it out. So doing an analog overlay could kill your digital gains on MER. Yes. So it, that's a concern as well. I wish you know, people just get rid of their analog channels and be done with it. Well, and, and, and to go just a little for, farther, um, and I, and I, cause Paul, uh, Paul Nolan just uh, wrote in and, and he's commenting on triggered spectrum capture Sweepless sweep, which I know you'll mention later, and <laughs> OFDMA, you know, when OFDMA is deployed. Um, one of the reasons, and, and Cable Lab's a big driver on this, myself, I'm a big driver on this because of proactive network maintenance. And uh, one of the reasons we focus on on using these technologies as, a, as opposed or at least in concert with NDR and MDF is because it uses the intelligence of the CMTS or CCAP, depending on what you want to call it, to know when modems are transmitting in the upstream in an OFDMA arena so that we can actually use the intelligence of that device, the, the CCAP CMTS, to be able to, uh, in an OFDM world and, and when modems are transmitting, et cetera, to be able to actually leverage that capability to know when we can insert signals, when we can see noise bursts under the OFDMA spectrum. So there's a lot of there's a lot of advantages from a, a proactive network maintenance standpoint, from an upstream spectrum maintenance standpoint that you want to be able to tie in any type of measurements what you're doing with the intelligence of the Mac scheduler, the media access. How if I say media access control, I'm probably going to have people say that's not what we call it, but the Mac scheduler is yeah. uh, to to actually know when signals are coming in from ca different cable modems in a network. When we're using exclusively NDR, NDF technology without knowing what's going on with signals coming in, we're, we're kind of blind to that. 
So we have technologies uh, in RPDs to let us get return pass spectrum analysis only today. We're relying on our RPD vendors to build in more intelligence uh, that allow us to do triggered return spectrum analysis so that we, we can actually see what's happening underneath OFDMA carriers. Yep. And we actually have it in the slides later. I just can't, I can never get to my last slide. All slides. right, all right. I'm gonna, yeah. <laughs> let's go, let's go, John. It's not, it's not your fault. You know, it's my fault. <laughs> so, so, I, so I always like to throw out these, damn, I never thought about that. Look at my last bullet point. FM radio in Europe. This yes. is one of those things in Germany, they usually carry FM radio over the cable plant. They do. But, and and I, I'm glad but, to see you brought up uh, Bo Kronbach from Kronbach Tracers. We mentioned him on the show before, but he makes a product as you have in the bullet in there. And I think you're going to go down on that. Well, basically what? Digitizes the FM band and then sends it on the digital link, right? Yeah. So according to NDF, there's a mode seven. And and that covers this extra wide bandwidth. And you know as well as I, when you digitize a signal, normally you have to do Nyquist sampling, which is at least 2x of the highest frequency. Well, in this case, we're talking about the bandwidth of frequency we have to digitize. Well, 88 to 108, add a little bit more. I think the spec might say 25.6 megahertz chunk, two times that, and 10-bit sampling, you end up with 51 megabit per second. That's a lot. So that means if I'm doing NDF of FM radio, going over my digital link, I have 51 megabits per second of overhead on my SIN, my converged inter, inter networking, interconnect network, my digital fiber. Um, so it's something that uh, it's a I've ten really gigabit sin. What are you worried about? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I worry We're never going to use that ten gig up. <laughs> I worry about everything because everyone starts <laughs> running the numbers and like, why is it not adding up? I'm like, oh, you forgot to add in that. Yeah, you forgot to add in your map messages for downstream overhead of all your primary downstreams. You know, you forgot to add in your multicast overhead that even if you're not doing anything, it might be null bytes, but it's still <laughs> eating up sin traffic. Yeah, there's a lot of little things that could be eating up SIN traffic. They all know. add up. It does. We'll, we'll use Not, that 10-gig pipe, I guarantee uh, Yes, exactly. <laughs> build, build it and they will come. That's right. <laughs> so I went through my head at the same time. I just didn't want to. I was going to be corny and say it. Thanks for saying it for me, John. <laughs> okay, I'm actually reading your mind, so don't worry about it. All right, next slide. <laughs> It'll only take us four hours to go through 10 slides. <laughs> so right. what... So we, and someone just brought it up, so I'm getting to it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Sweep with sweep on the downstream, that's easy. I mean, as we fill up the downstream spectrum, there's no places to put sweep points anyway. Right. So why not just take a snapshot of the entire channel lineup at the node, take a reference of it, and as you go down the line, you can compare it to your reference. Right. Apples to apples, apples to apples, apples to apples. And that's not if even new every- technology. We've been no, doing that for years. People are familiar exactly. with it. They're comfortable exactly. with it. It's proven. So the only concern is if I don't have full spectrum, how do I get a display or representation of the spectrum with no channels? I've come up with a way to generate RF signals in the empty spectrum without having to pay for it. So I can turn on an RF channel and call it a video channel, but note not apply any video content. So I can basically make like null qualm channels just as placeholders i can even convert some of those qualms to cw continuous wave so it looks like i have tones we even support pilot tones but we don't support a whole lot of pilot tones from the rpd my only concern is the chipset 
stops a single carrier Qualm at nine nine nine, and we need to go higher for extended we go, spectrum. <laughs> we might. Well, I'm not even talking about one point eight yet. Let's just stick with one point two. Yep. So if I want to go to one point two, the current hardware supports one point two with OFDM, but it, I don't know how to generate an OFDM signal without incurring a license charge. My dog wants to bark at somebody. <laughs> <laughs> down, boy, down. So it's everyone's everyone's going through that right now, working at home. No one's yeah, gonna mind. Kids, kids and dogs. <laughs> kids, dogs, pets. So so what's the what's the solution for generating a tone at 1.2 megahertz? External equipment? Uh, but where do you send it? Do you do NDF? Oh, you're right. It's a challenge. You can't. You yeah. have to generate it at the RPD. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could say, well, if I'm doing sweepless sweep, I'm taking a reference of the noise floor, which is true. But the noise floor just ain't as steady as a nice reference. And it's also hard to get a a good uh, a good energy measurement on the noise floor because it's the noise floor. <laughs> so. It's kind of be difficult. Uh, so uh, is that something that you're looking into? People are talking about, I mean, it would seem that as an R, you know, people that are RPD vendors, this would be a really requ- requested feature to say, give me a, give me a couple tones. I'll pass the gigahertz. Yeah. Yeah. So I can, you know, at least have a, a, a something to connect the dots, but I would argue that connecting the dots is not good for a sweep trace. What if you have a suck out at 1.1 gigahertz? Well, connecting the dots from one gig to a pilot tone at 1.2 doesn't give you any display or what's going on in between. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so we have you, uh, you, need, you need good granularity and and representation of all the you know all the points maybe every one megahertz or something. Yeah. So back to your comment on FM radio, uh, we have uh, a commenter Green says uh, Unity Media in Germany still has FM radio, Vodafone not anymore. Uh, thank God. So they're dropping it. Vodafone's no, and, and yeah, I think that's a smart thing. It's over the air. We can get it over the yeah. air. So I, I maybe maybe that's going to change in Europe that they'll stop carrying it. Um, so that's an interesting thing. New 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 things emerging out of Europe. I mean, to me, it'd be interesting to carry. Uh, what was the what was the HD radio? Right, remember what HD radio, terrestrial still, digital radio. We still, have, I mean, it's what? still around. It's still, we still yeah. have HD radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> so, no one listens yeah. to it because they stream. I know. After. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But maybe that would be better to carry. Oh, I my sub bullet balancing with from a sweep trace. I think is better than balancing on a few tones anyway, which yeah. I just mentioned, right? Um, but I wanted to go more into that. Is when I started with Secor, you know, we used to balance on a, a tone at 54 and, and a tone at 750. I'm like, well, wait a minute. What if I have low end roll off? What or if I have high out. end roll off? <laughs> yeah. On that end, but no, I, I would still, this, I didn't get into sweep at that point. I was just doing balancing first. Because a lot of techs used to just balance first and then store a sweep trace. Right. But if you balance pad and EQ based on two tones that are screwed up in the first place, you're not getting a good representation of the entire spectrum. You could have a bathtub effect of your trace, but you're like, oh, but I'm good. My two end tones are 55 over 32 or whatever the tilt was, right? I'm like, that's not good. Really, you should balance based off of a sweep trace. Get it as close as you can. Ah. You know, writing down, writing down a number of 52 over 35 doesn't mean nothing to me. You know, to me, I should be able to see the trace 
on the tilt or normalize zero and be plus or minus a couple dB, and I'm happy about it being within that region. But in, in an RPD world, isn't that enough to balance and get your carriers out there, get your plant set up, or you know your plant's probably already set up in, in most cases, unless it's greenfield. You're going to take out an analog load. You're going to drop in an RPD. Check your you know check a couple of tones. If it's it's a brown if it's brownfield, we're dropping that RPD, and you're already going to have a bunch of qualm channels out there. To your point, you can probably take uh, if you have P and M in your plant, you can just use a full band capture modem. Check your modem before you you have when you have the analog plant in here. Do a scan of the full band capture modem and say, okay, I got my reference. Drop your RPD in. Uh, do your do a quick check off of a couple of tones and just make sure you're within the levels before and after your RPD and then do a, a full band capture snapshot off your modems again and make sure you're back in with where you are. I, and, I, and I wasn't implying uh, this was a sweet balance of just a uh, upgrade. I was thinking more of a, a new build. Greenfield. Like how people, yeah. yeah, Greenfield. I would even, my concern would be if I do drop in an RPD and for some reason, you were not generating your AGC signal correctly. Now all the amplifiers down the line, just they go haywire. So what you're worried about is there's maybe going to be a, either a, a dip or a hump where your AGC is. No, no. Well, it's got- no, no. So think about it. Your AGC dictates the amplifier spectrum. Right. Not where AGC is. So if the AGC coming out of RPD is not set up correctly and it's a couple of dB down, every amplifier has to go up a dB. Mm-hmm. Maybe every amplifier, maybe just the first one, because it has to pick it back up. Because it's thinking your RF levels are low based on one carrier, so it has to adjust all the carriers. Yes, and and let me let me just digress for a moment. AGC stands for automatic gain control, and and most amplifiers out there have that automatic gain control. Uh, just for anyone who doesn't know, and this pilot tone that John is talking about is sent from. Now we're generating it at the RPD. It's sent out. That pilot tone's a reference tone that goes into that automatic gain control circuitry. And so every amplifier after the RPD senses the level of that pilot. And, and if that pilot goes up, that's telling the amplifiers that the, basically the signal of the entire plant has gone up for some reason. Let's, maybe it got cold outside. And, and so uh, when it gets cold outside, the internal circuitry of amplifiers get more efficient. Coax cable, when it gets cold, actually shrinks a little bit, and it, it gets a little less resistant to electricity going through it. Oh, stop, 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 stop. Because Ron is going to have your he's head he's going to give me a dish that. of you know what I need. <laughs> there is expansion loops on coax because they're contraction expansion. Yeah, but that's going to be minuscule in regards to attenuation. It, it's the mostly attenuation the efficiency is, of the amplifiers. It, it, no, no, it's the the electron uh, movement in the in that waveguide between the center conductor and outer conductor of coax and the the transmission. So it's not the length of the coax, it's the, um, I guess, the efficiency of coax. I mean, the rule of thumb is uh, sun-loaded, black-jacketed aerial cable is Mm -hmm. about 20 degrees above ambient temperature. So it's already hotter. And every 10-degree delta from 68 is a 1% change in attenuation. So higher frequencies have more attenuation anyway. So higher temperatures and higher frequencies being a percentage will be a higher number. So what happens when it gets hotter, it's going to swing more and more at the high frequencies and right. less at the lower frequencies. And that's what AGC and ALC will take care of. 
Yes. And it, and it uses that pilot to do that. So we, we have a, a, a question uh, coming in here. It says, can't you just change AGC values via commander at the office? Uh, um, so this is a, not, this is a not, tricky not the, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the amplifiers, but you can definitely change the AGC pilot tone level mm-hmm. coming out of the RPD. Yeah, definitely. But but I think that we have to be really careful on this because this this is one of those things that can run into a band-aid. Because we if we set the RPD up right day one and we have a certain reference level for that pilot coming out of that RPD, and now the plant is correctly balanced. We're talking about plant balancing here. Let's say two months later we have some messed up levels in a plant. You know, uh, levels are at say too low or too high at one subscriber's house or a couple of subscribers' house. The fix for that is not to adjust the AC levels com- or the uh, pilot levels coming out of the RPD. Correct, right? correct. of course. Of course. <laughs> the most, fix is to go most. figure out what happened to my levels in the plant that now they're either too low or too yeah. high at some subscriber's house because something's obviously gone wrong in the plant. And we don't, we don't want to mess up levels for everyone else by just adjusting the, AC, the uh, RF level, the pilot level coming out of the I mean, RPD. That's a band. You could even have a, an issue if you did this node update and it was 100 degrees out. Absolutely, you just set it. You just set it up at non-optimum conditions. Yes. So we, well, we optimize cold. it for 100 degrees, <laughs> not for not for what it's going to be the rest of the year. Yeah. <laughs> so um, back to the slides. Back to the tape. <laughs> 15 minutes back left, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we talked about the balancing. But what happens when we go 1.8 gigahertz? Doxus 4.0, extended spectrum Doxus. Ironically enough, we're looking at 1.8 downstream to open up the upstream. We don't really need more downstream, but if the upstream opens up and starts eating into my downstream spectrum, I need to extend my downstream spectrum. The problem is coax cable, connectors, taps, F connectors. There's a lot of stuff that might have to be fixed, checked, Qualified, quantified, qualified, qualified is better. Um, but there's no signals that are generating from existing RPDs that I can go to 1.8. So I said, you know, even though we're going digital fiber, everything's going IP, uh, and all the RF guys are getting older and retiring, I'm like, RF is getting sexy again. <laughs> <laughs> I love <laughs> that know? line when I saw it. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and it kind of is, right? I mean, we thought that we were kind of done with the RF side of things, but it's definitely changing. I mean, and we're looking at digital signals. OFDMA is an RF signal, but uh, going to 1.8 gigahertz is a concern. I know from all my years in cable plants and troubleshooting and, you know, sweeping balancing that higher frequencies are more sensitive to problems in coax. So you can have a little kink in coax that I've never seen a problem at 750, but as soon as I go to one gig, maybe I see it. I know the old uh, MC squared or the old trilogy uh, coax had a known oscillation right at, say, 500 and some megahertz. Then they changed the way they, they pulled the cable coax and create little dimps every so often. And that little suck out moved up to about 1.1, 1.2 gigahertz. And they're like, yeah, we're fine with that because it's one gigahertz rated cable. So what happens when you forgot about that and you go to 1.2? Yeah, so, so we're going to find things that we have been masked or hidden because we never looked. So, so anyone who's gone through a 750 to 860 migration or an 860 to 1 gig migration, 
They've I'm tired. The, they've already <laughs> they've been through this before. They've seen those crazy things that are that exist in our plant. Now we're talking about going from a gig or you know maybe 860 to 1.2, a gig to 1.2. Those same those same issues are going to be there. So yeah. and we we got people that have gone through that and they're, 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 I know they're just saying, "Oh my gosh, here we go again, another upgrade." But a lot of those guys are retiring. and <laughs> Or they're retiring and, because of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving on. Um, oh, leakage. This is another good one. It's one of another aha moment. Kind of yeah. like, if I increase my upstream to 300 megahertz, <laughs> but my downstream leakage signal is usually at 115.26. 150. Yeah, it's, it's one, in, yeah, 150 or something. That's your first leakage sy- yeah. signal. So how do I inject a downstream signal or can I turn this around and use Doxus 3.1 upstream OFDMA and there's a function called probing where I can get a 3.1 modem to send a complete burst or maybe a smaller signal burst at known frequency and synchronize it with uh, uh, some of the equipment that does the leakage testing. Now, it might not be like a leaked signal that has tone or has modulation or some type of oscillation on it so we can distinguish it. But if I generate a signal from the house from a 3-1 modem and I can time it with my testing, I'm pretty sure what I find is going to be from that, that modem, not some arbitrary other signal that's leaking out. So there are some solutions people are looking at. But instead of going down that complex path, what if we know that to go to 300 megahertz in the upstream, I still have millions of set-top boxes doing now to band. Hmm. So could I create an amplifier or active device that has a notch just for downstream? So instead of a diplex filter, it's a quadplex filter. It's you skipped upstream. a triplex filter. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's like I, I thought I would call it a, a triplex, but people are quoting the term quadplex. And here's the reason why. You're going to do upstream, downstream, upstream, downstream. So it's quad, quad um, slots, if you will. Yeah, it's like, sounds it's like super easy design, to design, John. Yeah, but, <laughs> but te- technology—they're working on it right now, yep. and they're talking about a cable labs and SCTE. And, and they, the question will be, how wide do we need to make the notch? I would argue that don't just make it for CLI; make it big enough that maybe you can also uh, use it for set top box yep. CLI. Maybe it's big enough for an AGC pilot is right there. I don't know, right? So think about all those before you design it because I want to design, design one product that and, – and someone might say, well, I only need two megahertz slice for, CL, for leakage. But right. if I say I only have a product that's six megahertz, is it really going to kill you? You know, <laughs> six megahertz. You have to that's- take out a uh, – it's probably a single carrier qualm anyway, right? So, a, yeah, and six megahertz is narrow. Six. You're going to throw away a lot of guard bands just making that notch to get to six megahertz. Two, two or six water. doesn't make any difference because you have to take out a single carrier qualm anyway, right? Yep, absolutely. That's probably where your single carrier qualms are. So you'd notch out six megahertz to be done with it. If it's European, maybe you notch out eight megahertz. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's just some of the things we're looking at, and, and that's kind of a cool idea because it satisfies my leakage. It satisfies my millions of set-top boxes that I don't want to upgrade from MPEG-2 to MPEG-4 IP uh, set-top boxes and IP video because I have legacy set-top boxes. Yeah. What slide are we on? Oh. <laughs> so, uh, so we had a good, a good funny comment here from uh, uh, on the chat room. He said, we went from 
from uh, 500 to 860 megahertz to one gigahertz, and now I'm pulling out my hair. Uh, they want to go to 1.2 gigahertz, but they can barely support one gigahertz now. So it's kind of what we're talking about. <laughs> it's, it's, it is difficult to, to support higher and higher frequencies, and we're going to continue to see that. Agreed. I had a customer that was at 750 or 860, and they were looking to go to one gig. I'm like, why would you do an interim step? Yeah. Go right to 1.2. It's the same cost as the hardware. Yep. You know, most vendors are upgrading. So deploy the highest you can to be future-proofed, even if you're not going to use it for a couple of years. Yeah. And then maybe you can do one gig. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so. so moving on. Moving on. All right, so here's the problem with the upstream. If you take an analog node, typically you design for, remember back in the day, uh, we would design for maybe 17 dBmV to the housing mm -hmm. when we did a reverse design because we knew inside the amplifier we had 5 dB of loss or so. So we hit the upstream hybrid right about 12 or 10 dBmV, which is perfect, you know, above the noise figure of the, the active hybrids and all that. So we have a lot of reasons for, you know, the levels we pick, but it's also based on What's going to run on your cable plant? What is the maximum output of a cable modem with DOCSIS 2.0, DOCSIS 3.0.1 channel, DOCSIS 3.0.4 channel, DOCSIS 3.0.8 channel? You know, what happens with DOCSIS 3.0.3.1 modem is introduced? I need to know the capabilities of the modems, the spectrum I intend to deploy on the upstream, and will my design work properly to hit the hybrids with good MERs, not compress the laser? So if I take out an analog laser and now it's designed for 13 dBmV at the housing of the node, because by the time you go through the internal losses to get to the upstream laser, analog laser wants to see like a plus 7 or a plus 10 or somewhere in that range. So I hit the housing at 13. Well, now that you're moving the upstream chip of the CMTS to the node itself, the chip is set for 0 dBmV default input. From the chip in that lid to the housing might only be half a dB for the diplex floater, a couple of test point pickoff points, uh, some losses going through. Not sure if there's an upstream gain stage or not, but... How about a thermal equalizer or anything like that? Or anything like that in RPDs anymore? Or um, not in the RPD, but in the actual node? Um, um, like way back in the day of the C-Core times? Uh, no, <laughs> no. Yep. No. Uh, it's I even less loss, that. less attenuation. Yeah. So there's less. So what I'm getting at is it's only like three dB of loss from the housing port to the chip. Right. That means I need to hit the housing at three. But but you're going to be hitting it higher because that is what was coming into the analog node before. So what do so you do if with it's that extra higher, So if it hits higher, what does the CMTS do? It tells the cable modems to lower the levels. That's which how this long good. loop level control works. So the CMTS and RPD, which is part of the CMTS, is going to tell the modems lower your levels by 10 dB. And, and, we, and that's what, not what we want to have happen. Noise floor, yes. cable modem levels. SNR goes down, uh, MER goes down in the upstream. Yes. Yeah, so if I'm going to replace an analog node with an RPD, I have a couple solutions. One, insert more padding into the RPD to replicate the loss we started out with so that it looks like more loss. The other solution would be to set the CMTS higher level. Like maybe I can configure the CMTS RPD for instead of zero, maybe a plus eight. Um, I could move some padding uh, from one place to another. Uh, I, I also talked about if I do insert padding on the RPD to get the levels proper, what happens when I activate more spectrum with OFDMA? The power levels 
can change, meaning I can run out of power. So I might have to either change the power in the CMT, CMTS, RPD, or remove some of that padding that I installed. I might have to take the 10 dB pad and drop it to a six. So I just gave myself four dB of headroom. It's just some of these things I got to think about going into the future and when I start activating more spectrum and what happens to the modem transfer levels. The good news is 3.1 modems, they have 5 dB more power than a 3.0 modem doing a channel upstream bonding. So replacing a 3.0 modem with a 3.1 modem, you're going to have much more headroom to begin with. So it works really well off those high value taps that are closest to your actives. You know, the low value taps, we don't have problems. It's the high value taps where you have problems. So what's the guidance to the tech in the field when, when what, the, what should they be doing at the, at, the, at the RPD as far as signals coming in? Is there, is there specific guidance that you would give them? It, it's not really the RF techs that's there. It's part of the design. Yeah. Whoever sets up the design is going to say, hey, every RPD is going to get a 10 dB tad, or pad. So when the tech goes out there to replace the lid with RPD, he makes sure there's an, a 10 dB pad either right before the, the, the RPD or maybe there's an upstream reverse pad location in the, in the housing. So like on, my, on analog receivers, though, we used to have a little voltage test point there that you could measure to get an idea of how much RF power is going into that. We don't have that same on RPDs. We don't have a correct. measurement test point there. Is that correct? Correct. But we might have an RF test point right. you know, that we could, we could uh, test out. Uh, uh, but this is, like I said, it's going to be part of the design. The, the people designing their plant are going to look at that and say, all right, well, if I want the modems to transmit the same level they are today and do it tomorrow, the same level, I'm going to have to either design more padding in or set up that RPD for plus eight instead of zero. Mm-hmm. So those are, some of my, yeah, those are some of my options. I, I bring up the flexible solution tap idea. I think this is a, a must I said practically required for 204, and here's the reason why. If I do more upstream spectrum, you're going to have more upstream tilt coming from your cable modem to go through the coax and hit the RPD at zero flat. The CMTS RPD are telling the modems, transmit whatever level you need at each frequency to hit me at zero, 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 zero. Because there's more loss at higher frequencies, the higher I go in frequency... 85 to 204, maybe 300, 396 megahertz on the upstream, that's going to create more and more tilt coming out of my modem transmit. Well, the modem spec is 12 dB max tilt between all those channels. It's called a dynamic range window. So that is going to become a problem because one, I might be able to design around it, but what happens when a modem is even farther away and the temperature changes? There's no upstream AGC. Amplifiers don't have that. They have downstream AGC. They don't have upstream AGC. I might be able to throw a thermal EQ in there, but it ain't going to do much. So if I have aerial cable plant that's getting affected by temperature and I'm doing higher upstream frequencies, I'm going to have more swing on my tilt from my cable modem transmit level perspective. So I really feel that the taps have to be designed with equal, equalizers and reverse EQs. And that's so what the FST only- is? Because you, yes, you kind right. of threw that out there, but didn't tell us what it was. Yeah. So that <laughs> long story longer, <laughs> uh, it is a tap that has nonlinear loss. So instead of a 23 dB tap flat loss at your first tap off of the active, it could be a 32 dB tap at 1.2 gigahertz, and it could be a 
20 or 23 dB tap at 5 megahertz. So you're going the whole spectrum, 5 to 1.2 gig. You're not doing a step up, step down. The problem with the step attenuator idea, like let's suppose I do tilt from 54 to 1.2 gig, but then from 5 to 40, I do like a flat loss. You just created diplex filter in there. Yeah, and, and we've, been rep- we've been recommending step attenuators for years now to help yeah, and ba- to help the return and the forward be equally balanced for the cable modem. So they the have problem with those, yeah, the problem with those is they're set at a certain frequency. Yeah. What happens when you upgrade eighty five? You have problem. to rip them all out. Yeah, you have to rip them all out. <laughs> and even if you get close to the spectrum, you're not you're not going to eighty five. It's creating its own group delay because it's like a built in filter. So are these FSTs? Are they available today? Are they? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean. Uh, Cisco SA selling them. I don't know. I can't remember. You know, we got out of sort of the plant business, amplifiers we got rid of, set-top box TPE we got rid of. We're focused on <laughs> nodes, RPD, CMTS, software. Um, but the taps, they're, they're making these. But I would say one word of caution is design it with the EQ that goes to the whole spectrum. Don't do the step idea. Right. You know, this. Yeah, don't and, do that and that's important idea. for people to start thinking about now, especially if they're out ordering step attenuators and they know in the next year, next two years, they're going to be doing an 85 megahertz upgrade or a 204 megahertz upgrade and, and the step attenuators are <laughs> go to 42 megahertz. So yep. it, it, it's just something that people should start thinking about. Agreed. So we're All starting right. to run slow on time, short on time here, John. Uh, anything else you want to get out there that's of critical importance? Yeah, what's slide? It was only 10 slides. I think we're on. Slide four, we're on. We're going to have to do part two of this. Let's let's just get that under there. (laughs) All right, so let's see where we're ending right now. So maybe we'll end this. And and even if you want to do a follow up next week, even we could finish this up. Sounds good. We'll do that. We'll do do a follow up. Uh, If if next week we can fit it in, I'm totally up for it. So, what was the next slide? Uh, Let's hit the next slide, just see what's on there. And then uh, we'll plan on doing part two next week. So, unity gain, uh, you know, people worried about how do you do upstream balancing. I'm like, you know, if you generate a sweep signal and you're looking at balancing upstream called unity gain, apples to apples to apples, it doesn't really matter what levels you use to balance. Yes. And you mentioned 17 dBMV. That was the the C core standard, 17 into the node, flat, uh, from node to node to node. Yeah, but what's funny is you could say, well, if I balance five, 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 that's the same as seventeen, 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 seventeen. Right. You're still going to use the same pad and EQ when you do the balance. Yep. It's still relative to each other, right? That's part of unity gain. So I talk about you know how to do that, um, and, and looking at the upstream sweep trace, I could use the sweep trace to determine my pad and EQ. So I use upstream sweeping for pad and EQing. Um, uh, let's see. What happens when more traffic is added in? You might have to remove some of that padding. Uh, I mentioned that you could swap padding in the head end and node. So you know we started off with the analog node. We talked about laser clipping. What could you do about it? Well, maybe I could change levels into the node. Here's what I would propose. If you can do it, you still have to do a truck roll. You could say, all right, at my CMTS in the head end, I have a 10 dB pad on the upstream. You could split hairs. (laughs) You could change change the 10 to a 5 and put a 5 dB pad at the node. The modems don't see any different, right? Because it's still 10 dB total pad from point A to point B. Right. But the node is being 5 dB less. So you're hitting it with less total power. And even if you did 6 dB, that's 4x power, right? 6 dB, mm-hmm. 
It's 4x power, so everything counts. Not trivial. So I, I would say it's probably maybe a uh, – and the, the last bullet point, you know, DAA eliminates laser clipping. But you could still have A to D compression. Um, so I still don't want all this extra ingress, obviously, hitting even a DAA node. But to compress the analog to digital converter uh, is a lot harder to do than, say, the laser clipping that we're seeing. You know, by the way, the true tail trait of laser clipping, and you know this, is – Anytime I see noise above 42 megahertz, when looking after the upstream laser is uh, converted from light back to RF in the head end, if you see noise above 42, it can't be created out in the field because the diplex filters would have cut it off. It's being created by the node. What's happening is that laser clipping is saying, here's all my RF energy. It's too high. The laser's getting nonlinear and turning on and off. All that energy from 5 to 42 is either mixing or it's creating harmonics that are really like ghosts of the first. So if you have a signal at 24, second harmonics at 48. Third harmonics going to be at 72. So I start seeing signals, ghosts, above the 42, I know it's laser clipping. So you can usually tell if it's laser clipping or not. The question is, what's creating it? And then how do I eliminate it? And you mentioned I could change levels. So one of my customers did. They said, well, maybe I can suffer a little bit of MER and change my CMTS to minus three. That way the modems transmit lower and really 3dB is double power. So they were able to lower the cable modem levels because their MERs had enough headroom and they know single, they weren't doing OFDMA. There's single carrier qualm, 64 qualm will work down to like a 23 dB MER. They had a 30 dB MER. They dropped 3 dB on the CMTS. Modem levels dropped 3 dB. MERs dropped 3 dB to 27. 64 QAM still working fine, but it had a little bit more headroom for that extra collisions and contention and ingress so that I didn't get laser clipping. It's hmm. a nice story. <laughs> it only works <laughs> everywhere that way. <laughs> cool, cool story, bro. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> All right. So, John, we got to wrap this up. We do have a, a, a number of comments that I didn't get to in the chat room here. If we see Brian Wilson, he gets like 1.7 gig in his six-foot plant. Uh, some other <laughs> folks that have like 20-amp cascades, I know they'll never get to, to uh, a 1.7 gig. And uh, some folks like want two-hour live streams from us, but <laughs> we'll just... We'll do another one. So I know we only got through like four of your or four or five of your 10 slides we have on here. So um, our next episode is scheduled episode uh, for May 22nd, but, you know, maybe we'll get one in before then uh, so we can cover the rest of your slides next week or the week after, John, if you're available. So, um, again. Awesome content today, John. I'll be working from home like everybody else. (laughs) I was going to say, you know, any upcoming trips or anything like that? I don't think so. Me neither. Um, So, John, thanks. uh, Thanks for all the information. I appreciate all the commentary in the chat room helping us getting our audio corrected this time after 58 episodes. We're super happy about that, and John audio is great. So, again, everyone, if you liked it, please please press subscribe and press press the little bell so you get notifications uh if you like the audio podcast only keep subscribing we love everyone's comments really appreciate we do try to bring you good content every month maybe we'll get two in this month so thanks everyone take care everyone stay healthy we appreciate your time so long all right take care bye-bye see ya